Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Track. At Track, our aim is to shine a light on the UK running club scene. This week on Track, we have a full roundup of a big couple of weeks, including the Cheshire Elite Marathon, BMC Gold Standard races at Birmingham and Brits abroad in the US. We discuss the latest news, including a new test event being held at Kempton Park to assist with the post-lockdown roadmap, plans for an invitational event in Manchester and the Diamond League in Gateshead. And we also have an interview with Finlene Clear, a US-based collegiate athlete performing well in the NCAA system. As always, I'm joined by Kat, George and Robbie. Hi guys, how are you doing? Good, thank you, Ben. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, thanks, Robbie. So we'd start with you. Last time we had a chat, you were, um, there's shed news about your, your turbo breaking. Any update on the turbo? Yeah, no, the turbo's turbo's gone back to my dad actually as soon as my dad's back in the country he's he's uh, he's he's reclaimed the turbo and, and fixed it apparently so no no more turbo for me until he goes back around europe on his bike um, but the good news is is uh, the injury is getting back to um fixed as per the last two times over the last few months so hopefully i won't be making the same mistakes over the next few weeks not particularly good on long runs or on sessions <laughs> But apart from that, it's perfect. <laughs> and Hereford 5K, second fixture is looming. What do you reckon? Chances yeah, better than it was last time we spoke. So I'll do the Worcester AC club session tomorrow night. And barring any meltdowns or breakdowns, then I've got to jump in and just get on with it, really. So as long as I, as long as it, as long as I don't think that I'm going to run injured, I don't really care about the time. We'll just go for it. Very good. Kat, last time you were at Hereford, you got a first sub 25k PB. Are you uh, looking to go better again next time? Uh, yeah, hopefully. I don't know. I feel like I'm running on borrowed time at the moment. I did a nice big training block over sort of January, February, and now I've just been, my miles have just been heading down, which means I'm peaking, but that will run out eventually. So um yeah maybe maybe try and get a few seconds off but I don't know I might not even go as well as I did last time George you have actually raced since last time we spoke got back onto the track 1500 meters do you want to talk us through how that went and the, the event itself yeah it's pretty good uh, so Loughborough open meet uh, yeah I did the 1500 which never felt like more of a, a 10,000 meter runner than on Sunday um <laughs> felt like I was sprinting from the start no I ran it even pace but like just feels so yeah un, unnatural to me around 405.6 which is a quarter of a second slower than my pb from last season so i think kat said on facebook messenger afterwards that picked up where i left left off which is a good way of thinking about it i think in hindsight well i wanted a little bit quicker going into it but in hindsight other than one session the wednesday before the race i've not, probably not ran a single step at 1500 meter pace since I last ran at 1500 so to expect kind of a big PB was probably a bit unrealistic so yeah nice to get about racing it was a good event um, obviously a home event for me and Loughborough so nice to yeah see some people I haven't seen for a while and yeah it was a good enough performance. Race in particular George were you in the A race or the B race um, and did you go uh, from the front how did it go? I think I came fifth out of 10 or 12, something like that. Uh, two lads broke four 
I, I was pretty much in fourth or fifth the whole way around. Um, went through 800 in about 210. So that was 404 sort of pace. So didn't, yeah, pretty much even pace. Tried to pick it up or felt like I picked it up last lap, but don't think I did. I definitely don't concentrate enough in a 1500 or I don't, I'm just not used to that type of pain. So I think I back off too much early on and probably don't commit enough and don't trust that I'd be able to run a certain pace. But I think that's just race practice. I've probably only run two or three 1500 meters in the last three or four years. So yeah, just pretty, pretty consistent splits, which I think is good. I didn't, it's not like I was dying, but I do think if I committed a bit more early on, I could have run a bit faster, but so I mean, it was a, it was a good enough race. I think, I mean, I, I thought there was an outside chance of breaking four and it was, uh, if I'd have gone with, if I'd have like committed and gone with it, then it wasn't impossible. It was quite windy, but um, yeah, it was a good enough race for, for me. And yeah, I just feel like if I'd have yeah, gone for it a bit more, I could have run fast. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I was pretty pleased that. And uh, what's coming up, George? What's next on the race calendar? So a 5,000 metres BMC on Saturday the 8th, the BMC Grand Prix in Trafford, I think. So I've, I've ran well at Trafford last year, so kind of that's always nice to go to a place you ran well at. That's where I ran my 3K PB. Um, I mean, I'd like to think mid-14s, probably maybe under 14.30 on a perfect day, but obviously weather and yeah you never know with the wind and stuff but i think i know i'm in like better shape particularly for, for like the five and ten k than i've ever been in so i don't see any reason why i can't be running 14 30 or quicker and yeah just it's a case of making sure i do commit and yeah go for it where does going back to the 1500 where does breaking for ranking what you want to achieve in the next couple of years george or is it just something you'll might pick up along the way or not a focus on? Um, I mean, I, I know, like, based on my 3K or 5K PBs, like, the standard there at, I should be running 350 something, definitely. But I've never, yeah, I've never had that sort of speed. I think the main reason it would be an aim is because I think to be competitive in, like, 5,000 metre finals in, like national age group champs and stuff like that you probably need to be a sub four runner to yeah to be able to yeah have that kick at the end so i think it's more of an aim to benefit my 5ks than it is an aim to break four on its own well done um cool okay well um as you guys know sunday the 25th it was the cheshire elite marathon what was before going to be called the wrexham um elite marathon We'll go through the results and, and what have you and, and talk about the, the main bits and pieces. Basically, just a bit, bit of a background to the race. So the race organiser was Michael Harrington and he's of Run Cheshire. Um, and he wanted to provide an opportunity for good level and elite athletes to compete over the marathon distance at a time when big city marathons and obviously other events were all being cancelled. Yeah, originally scheduled to take place in Wrexham. I'm pretty sure it was originally scheduled to sort of take place back in April last year but obviously got pushed back it was going to be October last year and, and obviously now it happened this weekend so there about 300 or so signed up entrance men qualifying time was sub 240 women qualifying time was sub three hours or equivalent half marathon times and there was also a, a half marathon event taking place at the same time yeah so I would say you know great organization on the day really easy so you turned up um 
the race started at half eight, sort of turned up to a high school car park, picked up your number, really easy, have a bit of a, about a mile walk to the start line, went off in waves. They were pacemakers. So as we'll talk about, I'm sure they were pacemakers for the, the top men and the top women. Um, pacemakers for the men were going at about 211, 212 pace, and for the women um, going out on the 229.30 Olympic qualifying standard pace. Uh, it was a loop course, so about seven and a half loops for the marathon, and effectively it was a, a triangular-shaped course, um, three fairly straight, fairly flat roads, um, seven and a half laps for the marathon. And I don't know if you guys watched any of it, but it was live-streamed through Facebook um, by the same same guys who do the Mid Cheshire 5K. And yeah, it was a, again, it was no spectators allowed, um, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. From my perspective, not a good day. Um, we were talking before we started recording this evening and I, I was sort of just saying to you guys, sort of just didn't happen for me, just sort of pretty gutted about it. Um, was quite confident going, not confident, but I was quite optimistic going into the race of, of trying to dip under the 230 mark. Um, went off at, at that pace. There was a good pack, obviously with the pacemakers. Matt Clouds was pacing the lead women at that pace for amongst other people. So it was good course, good pack. Weather was pretty decent, a slight breeze in, in one direction, but otherwise all good. Yeah, and made it to about 17, 18 miles on pace. And then um, anyone who's ever run a marathon probably knows the feeling I'm, I'm going to describe. It just sort of started to, just didn't happen. Just couldn't, couldn't stick on the pace, just got slower and slower. And so ended up sort of trotting in, sort of jogging almost the last lap, um, and came in at 2.36. Pretty disappointing, pretty sort of soul-destroying at the time. And and um, I said to you guys, I'm, I'm pretty gutted about it. Probably the worst I felt after a race, possibly ever. Um, but in terms of the race itself, it was a really, really well-organised, really good, good to see. It was basically like a, a championship at London um, and nothing else. It was that sort of event. So just top quality athletes all around, really really well organized really smooth and there was sort of signs and and sort of whispers that it might be put on again next april because of the sort of the support it had and the sort of feedback that they've had about it being such a, a good event in terms of your race ben what what do you put it down to if you can put it down to one or two things or was it just a bad day at the office yeah i think that's probably like the hardest thing i i can't put it down to anything like other which leaves the fact that just not good enough on the day or not fit enough to, to run the time I wanted to run so yeah I didn't really feel like as I said I felt training gone well beforehand there was no sort of no injuries no cramps no stomach issues nothing like that the weather was good so I you know that's sort of just you're running out of sort of excuses there other than just not being good enough and I think that's the, that's the realization which is always the hardest one isn't it your so your Pete what's your what's your marathon PB no 34 D34 back in 2016 that was in Berlin wasn't it so so we've known each other since then and your training shows that you're surely fitter now than you were then yeah I I don't think I don't think anybody would say you know that you're not good enough you know that's that's no just surely surely that must just be a a missing ingredient or yeah something on on the day it's hard to know, isn't it? Listen, I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm better than a two thirty six. If I'd gone out at two thirty two pace or whatever two thirty three pace, I probably would have done that. But when you, I suppose when you take a shot at a two twenty nine, 
there's, there's a chance you might sort of blow up for one of a better phrase so yeah I'm, I'm better than a 236 suggests but you have to do it at the end of the day don't you I wouldn't want to be here either lamenting the fact that I twisted my ankle halfway round or I had stomach issues so the reasons are I suppose secondary to the fact it just, it just didn't happen um, and maybe it was just one of the day one of those days and and are you tempted to jump into another marathon quickly just to check if that was just a blip do that and it works out sometimes like I you know people jump into one three weeks later and have a great day you you've done all the training your 5k pbs improved that much and you've you've done the training to translate it up to a marathon just to save you being miserable for the whole next season just jump straight back in one and just prove to yourself you can do it yeah possibly I think that's the thing with marathons as well isn't it I was saying to you guys like probably six months until another crack at it so you sort of stew on it for a while can't you if you let yourself yeah just jump into a little one with no pressure just jump in plan to run it as a 20 mile training run at marathon pace and see what happens because you know it might just save yourself a whole summer of not (laughs) thinking you can do it (laughs) that's not a bad idea so you think it might have been different if it was a, a big city berlin type affair I mean, possibly. I think um, the course was really good. So it was it was flat, and it was you know three three corners per lap. So it, it's not to say that the course wasn't good. I think the fact there were no spectators could possibly play a role. And I think when once it starts going wrong, you perhaps would like a you know a few more people on the sidelines, I suppose, because then it starts to become sort of a bit of a, a long sort of desolate empty road. <laughs> But no, it was it was it was really good in terms of of the like in the current situation to pull that off. I think it, it's it's nothing short of, of remarkable, really. And, and Michael Harrington of Run Cheshire is, should really be commended because he he um all throughout trying to put this on, he was always in contact and, and he did a great job. So hopefully he gets the recognition he deserves for that. You think there's anything in the fact that it's your first marathon since 2019, I presume, around yeah. that far in longer than normal or obviously you did quite a few really good training blocks last year as well in the hope of a marathon that never came to anything that, that maybe added to the pressure a little bit on the day or possibly I think certainly this sort of date has certainly been sort of circled in on the calendar for a long time now so maybe it was you know just built up a lot and yeah, October 19 I did Frankfurt um and 36 as well. As I trained obviously quite a lot with you last summer and you were hoping to do London I imagine in October at the time and Mm. yeah you were definitely training miles better than you ever had been before then and I think the last training block's been the same every session we did together I felt (laughs) it was harder and harder to try and run away (laughs) yeah you were training very well last summer so yeah I I think it was definitely just one of those days and I'm sure London in October might be a different story. You're disappointed for a while, aren't you? And, and uh, I spoke to Carl Wellborn, who's sort of heads up the TMR training group. And, you know, he sort of said, please allow yourself to be disappointed, be angry, and then turn the page and forget about it and move on to the next one. So that's, I think that's the plan, sort of, and crack on for the, for the next build-up, really. What's, how much did you see of the of the front-end running? So obviously the we, Jake Smith story. Here we go through it. So let's let's quickly run through what happened. So as I said, there was a half marathon at the same time. The women's half marathon was run one 
and run by friend of the show, Samantha Harrison. And she ran an amazing time of 69 minutes, 48 seconds, which was um, more than a minute off her PB and actually put her on the top 15 all time UK list of half marathon. So well done to Samantha Harrison. Second place, also friend of the show, former interviewee, Kirsty Longley. Um, she ran 116.23, so quite a long way back off Samantha. Um, and in third place was Tracy Barlow, uh, Thames Valley Harrier, who also ran 116.35. Uh, in the men's half marathon, about 40 competitors in this race. Callum Johnson took the win. He's a Gateshead Harrier. It was his debut half marathon. He won it in 63 minutes, 45 seconds. Second place, Christopher Richards. And third place, Daniel Connolly of Telford AC. If we move on, I suppose the, the biggest stories of the day were in the marathon. Um, if you start with the women's marathon, as I said, it was a sub three hour qualifying time to enter the race. And there were 30 finishers in the women's marathon. Aoife Cook of Eagle AC won the race in 2.28.36. Um, second place was, and I'm trying my best with this name, Mayor Tiori. Um, who was from Israel, and she came second in 2.29.03. And third place was another Irish athlete, Anne-Marie McGlynn of Letterkenny AC, also just dipped under 2.30 in a 2.29.34. Um, also a big shout out to Rose Harvey of Clapham Chasers, who came fourth um, in 2.30.58, which is the Commonwealth Games standard that she achieved there, and, and a massive PB as well. So yeah, two women under the Olympic qualifying standard, uh, one Irish athlete in Aoife Cook and one Israeli athlete. Um, Aoife Cook is off Cork City. As I said, that front group was paced predominantly by Matt Clowes amongst others. Um, and well done to Rose Harvey for, for getting that Commonwealth Games standard. It was a four minute PB for Aoife Cook and she goes fourth on the all time list for Irish athletes. Um, the Israeli athlete, has made one Olympics already. So she's, she ran the marathon in Rio and she's also uh, ran in the world champs. Anne-Marie McGlynn, who came third, was just four seconds outside of the Olympic standard time. So fairly close for her, 41-year-old um, from Northern Ireland. Um, but what she did do was she set a new Northern Irish marathon record and took three minutes off her PB. Overall for the women, three women under 2.30, eight women under 2.40, 10 women under 2.45, and 24 women under three hours. So um, really good, um, strong women's field there. Moving over to the men's marathon, about 125 finishers. As I'm sure a lot of you listening will probably seen already, Jake Smith took the win in two hours, 11 minutes Flat. Second place was Callan Moody of Serpentine and third place Reese Edwards of Belgrave Harriers. Um, so what can you say about Jake Smith, I suppose? In his marathon debut, he was scheduled to pace the lead group through 25k. So he was in there as a pacemaker and about 2.11.30 pace, but he just carried on running. Now, obviously, I didn't see it myself, but apparently talking to people who were there, there was a bit of a shouting conversation between himself and his coach who was on the sidelines James Thee about whether he was going to continue or not and um, Jake obviously wanted to continue and and I'm not sure the coach wanted him to James Thee um, but he ended up running all the way um, and finished in 2.11 dead um, and I think coach James Thee also later described him as a bit of a maverick in a, in a Twitter post. My question on that and this might be a really stupid question is that's 
surely not his race pace, is it? So if he's agreed to pace the race, he must have been below race pace comfortably for that distance. So if anyone paces a race, you'd have to be absolutely sure that you're not redlining or mm. at yeah. your max. So how fast can he go? How fast could he go if he set out to race tomorrow? Well, not only that, because I think he'd... I think I saw on Twitter or on somewhere that he don't his longest run ever was nineteen miles. He's obviously not been doing marathon training yet. I think he's had a bit of an like on and off injury year since world half the end of last year. So he hasn't been hasn't done a sixteen week training block, let alone a sixteen week marathon training block. Raced three fifty on Wednesday night for the fifteen hundred. Like I mean you're talking with a proper training block, going out of race pace. Obviously, he front ran the entire thing as well. So it's not like he was tucked in behind a kind of a big group in the Boston Marathon or something, running basically solo the entire time. Obviously, he had people behind him, but he was leading. So, I mean, you've got to be talking minutes of improvement, surely. He, um, he only took on one jal as well, apparently, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he fueled really didn't hydrate really i mean it's ridiculous it's ridiculous, yeah, it's ridiculous yeah. if you remember watching the because uh, he also paced the q gardens race didn't he and how comfortable yeah. he looked there chatting away to callum hawkins at the front so yeah you, it's hard to imagine what you think he could run on a as you and all the things you've described there george yeah it must be minutes quicker than that you would think but yeah, yeah. how yeah. much do you think the frustration is though that i mean he should be in the olympic team Really, I mean, there's something in that if he wants to target the marathon, if that's what he decides to do this year, then you're going to run faster, earn more money at London. The Olympics are never fast, but at the same time, he could be an Olympian. Do you think that's a frustration, or just yeah, well, probably, he knows he's going to be an Olympian one day if he's got that much talent? He's got so many years ahead of him. From what I've read and what I've seen, it sounds like he's going to try and target the 10,000 Olympic time, if possible. And obviously in that interview after the Kew Gardens race, he said, I just I want to get faster so that when I do jump up to the marathon, I can kick like the Africans is basically what he, he was describing. So, yeah, maybe he, he's playing the, the long game. I mean, yeah, I, I wonder if, if an athlete were to drop out now of the Olympic team would he be the first name on the list i'm sure that if he wants to run in the commonwealth games next year with that time that will qualify him so i suppose it, it sounds all a bit unplanned doesn't it and uh he maybe yeah. didn't, didn't plan to do it so yeah. amazing anyway um amazing uh run from jake smith and he did uh, and he came storming past me as i was uh hating the world he lapped me um he must have been quite confused surely yeah, well, yeah, I was, I think I was just confused generally at that point. <laughs> I think I'm speeding past me. Um, second place who also came speeding past me was Callum Moody, um, who is actually from New Zealand but running for Serpentine. It was his marathon debut, 33 years of age. He's a 14 12 5k runner, 28 57 10k runner. Um, he's competed at the World Cross Country Champs in 2019, so he came second place sort of 2.11.39, so just outside of that Olympic standard qualifying time. Couldn't hang on to Jake Smith in the latter stages, um, which must be frustrating for him. And third place was Reese Edwards, Belgrave Harrier, Australian athlete, 
um, two minute PB from 2018. And as I said, he ran uh, 214.44. So overall, five men under 220, 47 men under 230, and 100 men under 240. So yeah, quite nice to see a few sort of friends of the show. As I said, Samantha Harrison and Kirsty Longley were there. Also had a very quick chat with Mike Boucher, who we've interviewed, who had a great run. He ran a 2.31. He was really excited on the start line because he was standing next to Tommy Hughes, who is the, um, the veteran runner, 60-year-old, 61-year-old. He was aiming to run under 2.30, didn't quite manage it on the day. Um, but he sort of gave me a shout on the start line, said, listen, look, I'm standing next to you. This is who I said I wanted to run with in my interview. So um, he was really bubbly and he, he, he came steaming past me as well and uh, tried to encourage me to hang on to the back of him. But um, it wasn't happening. So well done to Mike. Great run. Well done to Samantha, Kirsty and uh, everyone else. And to, as I said, to Michael Harrington for putting on a, a great event. It would be good if that happens um, again. OK, so. That's a bit of an overview of the Cheshire Elite Marathon, guys. Another sort of relatively big event which took place, which was the uh, Birmingham University Fixture One and BMC Gold Standard races. So uh, that was, yeah, last Wednesday, and it was luckily live streamed on YouTube, which is really good, with commentary from Sam Crick and Hannah England, um, which is great. You can really get an idea of what was going on in the races. So in the Birmingham Uni men's 800, it was won in 154 by Jai Sispel. And we also had a Worcester AC athlete, Sam Davies, recording an impressive PB of 155. So that was really good to see. In the gold standard race, it was won by Ben Greenwood of Perth with a win in 150. So the women's 800, the gold standard race was won by Katie Kirk of Ulster Uni in 205. So the men's 1500 metres is won by Henry McClucky of Shaftesbury in 142, which is inside the world and Euro under 20 standard. I don't know if any of you saw it, but a great race. I think Adam Clark set out really fast and they all spent the rest of the race wheeling him in, which is really exciting to watch. And he did unfortunately fade at the end, but I think it really gave everybody else in the field a real target. So really exciting race to watch. In the women's 1500, the gold standard races had Alex Bell from Pudsey, closely followed by Revy Walcott-Noland. Another good race to watch, just wondering whether Alex Bell would hold on there. She led it for the last 600, so that was really another exciting race. In the men's 3000 gold standard race, there was, it was won by Johnny Davis with an impressive kick to finish in 7.53. Uh, second place, Phil Sessman in 7.57. The women's 3,000, Jess Judd, 8.52. And then Jenny Nesbitt, who have interviewed before in 9.04. And Sarah Astin in 9.11. So another good race led by Jess Judd the whole way. Other highlights is Phil Norman running 5.26 in the 2K steeplechase. And yeah, really good coverage of that. Really good commentary. Kept you updated with what was going on. So yeah, good watch. Hannah England and Sam Crick. So yeah. They were really good, I thought. Yeah, really good at keeping you updated and really sort of, you know, they knew all the background. So they had stuff to chat about, about the runners as they were going around. It was, Mm. yeah, really, it was 
it was really well produced for something where it looked like they were just sat on a table at the side of the track. Just goes to show how simple it doesn't need to be complicated. I know we've talked about live streams in the past on previous episodes and coverage, and it just shows how simple it needs to be. It was just one camera on an elevated position on the on the bend, um, obviously on the commentary position as well. So you had the same perspective as what the commentators were saying. Um, I always like Hannah England when you hear her talk. I always listen to her and, and genuinely kind of learn as she's from what she's saying. So there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for that, isn't it? So she's, she's kind of genuinely given an insight. She to... really knows her stuff and she really knows the athletes. So it's whilst they're going around, you're getting an update on what they might be hoping for and what their PBs are. Thanks, Kat. George, did you want to talk us through... Uh... A fairly hefty uh, number of races over in the US. This well, last weekend on the twenty fourth, it was the Continental Tour in Oregon. A few Brits involved. So in the men's eight hundred, Guy Learmonth came sixth in one forty eight twenty two, um, and then in the women's eight hundred, the Dell Tracy took maybe a bit of a surprise win ahead of Gemma Riki. So uh, Dell Tracy won in two hundred three point two five, and then. Gemma Riki was just 100th of a second behind in 203.26. In the women's 1500, Laura Muir impressed the one from the front quite comfortably, I think, in 401.54. In the men's 5K, a new name maybe, I think, that we maybe haven't mentioned on here before, but Ewan Makepeace, who's Charmwood and then at Butler Uni. Um, he ran 340 to the 1500 um, on the 16th of April. And then in this 5K, he ran 1330.55. Um, and then Jack Leach from Worthing ran a PB of 14.18. And Logan Reese from Fife ran a PB of 14.39. And then the women's 5K, Ayesha McGolgan took the win in 14.52, which is six seconds outside her PB, but she, she took the win and looked pretty good, I think. And Amy Eloise Markov... Uh, came third in 15.13, so just outside the Olympic qualifying time of 15.10. Um, but first race of the season is only April, so plenty of time to to get that qualifying time. Another continental tour, this was a silver-level continental tour, at the Drake Relays, also on the 24th. Yeah, 3,000 metre steeplechase had a couple of Brits in, so Amy Pratt came second in 9.35. Point three four and Lizzie Bird came fifth in nine thirty eight point two five. So the Olympic qualifying time is nine thirty. Um, Pratt and Bird have PBs of nine thirty point seven and nine thirty point one, respectively. So they're both just outside and need a yeah need a small PB this year to get the standard. But good season openers from them, I imagine. Men in the Grand Canyon Invitational also twenty fourth of April. Um, Zach Seddon who. Also ran 3.42 the week before. He's a two-times British steeplechase champion. He ran 3.43.51 in the men's 1500 to come second. And then in the women's 1500, Verity Ockenden ran an impressive 4.09.34 to win by 11 seconds. Took three seconds off a PB and, yeah, completely front-run it. So very good season opener for her as well. And then... Few things from NCAA event in the Virginia Challenge two weekends ago. Uh, Amy Eloise Markov 
around 409 for 1500. Charlotte Dannant, who won the Intercounties Seniors in 2020, she ran 34.02 for the 10,000 metres. A um, couple of other results from a couple of weekends ago as well on the 16th, 17th. Uh, Jermaine Coleman, who's Tim Man Elite, but Preston ran 831.96 for the steeplechase. Uh, Olympic standard is 822, so nine seconds outside that. Uh, Yusuf Bizamana, who's out in Texas, but from London, ran the 1500 meter PB of 342.9. Uh, James Young from Morpeth ran a seven second 1500 meter PB of 337.72. So that's 2.7 seconds outside of the, the Olympic qualifying time. So that's another name to, to add to the list of contenders in like men's middle distance. Um, and I think the most impressive result from, well, that was pretty impressive, but another very impressive result from the, that weekend, the 16th, 17th of April, was Charles Hicks, who's Stanford University in Shaftesbury Barnet, around 13, 34.6 for the 5,000 metres. Two weeks ago, he ran 28, 25 to 10,000 metres. So he's running very, very well at the moment. He's still in number 23. So definitely a name to watch out for. Best of the rest, Robbie. Just a, just a quick shout out to uh, to the Cheshire Cross Country Championships, which stood out a little bit on the 17th of April. And they were obviously postponed through the winter and through the early spring and eventually held on the 17th of April. So it's kind of really commendable that they were eventually held and stuck to their guns. So this is at uh, Betley Court Farm which I think you've had a bit of a storm there, George, in the past in the Birmingham League. So in the women, Vicky Cronin uh, won, Carol Parsons second and Sarah Murphy third. Um, and the men's was won by Daniel Cliff, who's a quick um, sub-30, 10,000 metre man who runs for Liverpool Harriers. Um, there was a good performance in the Essex half marathon on the 18th of April when Adam Hickey turned up and got the win in 105.07. Um, so he was a clear winner. And Hayley Lampkin of Southend won the women's in 122. The last one that's worth mentioning is the on the 21st of April, and we did briefly mention this before talking about Jake Smith with the marathon. So Jake ran on the Wednesday night in the 1500 metres in the Welsh Athletics Endurance Invitational. Now, somebody might correct me on this, but I believe this is for athletes on the Welsh athletics endurance programs i mean again worth mentioning jake smith superb time of 350.89 you know and just to reiterate that's a wednesday before his 211 marathon in the 5000 meters and there was two runners dipped under 14 40 minutes so christian jones of swansea and tom marshall um, of cardiff came in at 13.53 and i think you'll be pleased to know ben that that is the best of the rest. Thanks very much, Robbie. A couple of bits of news that have caught our eye, but it's been announced again that the Reunion 5K at Campton Park um, is going to be held May the 15th uh, with three races. Um, and this is to help the government research um, to try and assist with the roadmap out of lockdown. So three races with 3,000 runners each and 3,000 spectators in each. Um, and everyone attending from participants to spectators and staff uh, will be required to provide a negative COVID-19 natural flow test ahead of the event. Um, and also they'll be asked to undertake a, a PCR test before and after the event 
in order to help the government's research into mass events taking place, hopefully with an eye on more of these happening in the future. Other news and Manchester Invitational plans gather pace. So Mark Scott and Amy Pratt are amongst the athletes who have amongst the names listed for a meet to take place in mid-June. So that's something to keep an eye on. Also, uh, Gateshead has been confirmed as the Diamond League opener. So the British venue will kick off the 2021 Diamond League season instead of Rabat. It had to be moved because of COVID restrictions. So we'll have some Diamond League action on UK soil um, in 2021, which is is something to look forward to. We also saw um, last before last time we spoke that Edward Kipchoge won his marathon in 204 around 20 airport. Seemed fairly comfortable running. I don't know if you guys saw any of that. Yeah, I thought he looks pretty good really. I mean, to have well, he struggled to a 207, 208 in October. So to look comfortable at 204 is definitely an improvement. Shows it was a, a blip for him. And like for the Olympics, I think he'd still be a bit silly to bet against him just because I think there's no one who's consistently that really. He's had one bad marathon in what, nine or 10, whatever it is now. So yeah, I th- I thought that was about right. It doesn't really like he ran 202, which would have massively changed my thoughts on him. It's not like he ran 208 again. So I think it was just about standard, but he looked comfortable doing it, which was good to see. Has it been confirmed that Bekele has pulled out of the Olympics? Is that He's not running. He didn't do the trials. My prediction's not going to come true that he'd run about a 203, 204 in this marathon and get beaten by Michaeli in the Olympics. <laughs> Maybe someone else. It's definitely not going to happen, is it? No. <laughs> George, did you want to introduce Silly McClear, who's this week's uh, interviewee? You sat down and spoke with him a, a week or so ago. Yeah, so yeah, just over two weeks ago now, I think I so yeah sat down with Finley he runs for Exeter but he's out you know higher at the moment um I think a couple of days before I interviewed him he just ran 146.51 which was an outdoor PB um he's now building up to like the regional conference then NCAA national champs which I think are like the 10th of June 9th of June something like that and then two weeks after that it's British champs and Olympic trials so it's a busy season of racing for him coming up he had a superb like, breakthrough season indoors won a massive bb of 145.9 to come second in the ncaa indoor final um so the olympic standard is just over half a second away for him so very much within reach um so we spoke about that some of his other aims for the season being a part of a very talented group of young British middle distance runners, including being part of a one, two, three at Euro under twenties in 2019. Um, he gave some really good insights into the NCAA, uh, the benefits and why it's working well. So working so well for him and why maybe the, the classic rule of you go to the NCAA and get injured isn't true. Um, and to me, he just seemed to have a, like a really good attitude. You just get the feeling listening to him that like, could go a very long way in the sport. Definitely a name to watch out for in like, the coming months and years. And yeah, I think particularly for young athletes or anyone considering the NCAA, it's a really good interview to listen to. He's certainly sold me on the idea of doing a, a postgraduate degree out there. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoys it. He's definitely an exciting name to watch out for. And yeah, got a big season, a big two years ahead, I think. 
Perfect. Thanks, George. Yeah, we hope you enjoy the interview. And I think what we'll do, George, we'll try and get a link up for that indoor 800 where he um, ran so well, but just got pipped on the line because that was uh, quite an exciting race to, to watch. Yeah, and I'll put a link up for Euro uh, under 20s in 2019 as well because we talk about the, the the finish of that race. And that, yeah, if you don't, if you haven't seen the finish of that race, it's worth watching. So yeah, we'll put that up on the Instagram. And uh, you didn't mention Dan Marino in the interview at all? No, funny enough, we didn't. <laughs> Still not entirely sure who he is, but... <laughs> it's great. <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, guys, I'm not going to ask you if you've got anything else coming up because you never say anything. So uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed the interview and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Yeah, Cheers. Thank you. This week on track, we're delighted to be joined by Finn McClear, an Exeter athlete who is making his mark on the NCAA. Finn is studying at Miami University in Ohio, and in March he won a silver medal in the 800 metres at the NCAA Division I Indoor Championships with a remarkable performance. Finn has kindly agreed to sit down with us just a couple of days after racing at Ole Miss, where he ran an outdoor PB of 146.51. Thank you for joining us, Finn. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Nice to get a chat in sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Zoom's been the thing of the year, I think, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, it's like second nature. This time last year, I don't think I knew how to use it. <laughs> yeah, so I'd never heard of it, I don't think, until 12 months ago. No, I don't ago. think I had either, honestly. Um, yeah. So, as I say, you raced at Ole Miss of the weekend and ran 146.51. How, how did the race go? Were you, were you pleased with that? I think you won, didn't you? Yeah, so I took, took the win on very high standard meet down there at Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, it was re- honestly one of those really good fun to get down with the boys and have a nice like few days away. Uh, warm weather down south. The race itself, I was I was definitely pleased with it, um, but nothing too out of like the way I knew I was capable of going out and doing that. Um, and to a degree, I was hoping like for a bit more competition in my eight. Uh, there was meant to be some of the Iowa State guys who had really high level but I think unfortunately they had like contact tracing or something so they ended up not showing up um but it was still a good standard race high standard um paces in there it would have been nice to have someone to chase the last 150 100 instead of leading but overall solid performance um I mean you can't do much more than win at the end of the day and I mean I just gotta keep the results sort of rolling in You've had a pretty pretty impressive year so far. So you ran 145.91 indoors. Um, and that was a, a two-second PB, I think, at, at the NCAA indoor final. And is that sort of time, was that out of the blue? Or did you, did you know you had that in you? I, I definitely definitely bat myself that I had it in me. It's, it's one thing thinking you have it in you. And it's obviously another thing actually going out and proving to yourself that it's within your capabilities. Um, I also knew that like, just based on like how the NCAA runs and stress with the indoor meet as well like going into it there was a very good chance that I'd have to run a 145 to win especially with two guys already who had run Charlie Hunt had run 145.5 and Hadili had run 145.9 so I knew I like you know if I wanted to win which I want to go in and win every race that I would have to potentially go and run that so I was ready for that I believe um, I hadn't necessarily had a ton of 800 training um, 
going into that indoor season. Uh, so the thing with that's it's a bit weird about our team is uh, we're technically like we don't sponsor indoors as like an official sport. So in usual years, I wouldn't have I'd be I'd be able to race indoors and compete for Miami, but um, due to like NCA rules, uh, I I wouldn't have been able to go to nationals. So going into the season, I wasn't necessarily expecting that I'd even be like eligible to qualify for nationals, even if I ran fast enough. Okay. So I hadn't necessarily like I've been doing like a lot of base training and trying to hit some high mileages for me like when I was back home uh, over the winter, and so it kind of was a quick adjustment going from sort of high mileage weeks, at least for me, high mileage weeks and like tempo sessions and then slowly progressing into that sort of 800 work within the space of like a month or two. But to your point, no, I definitely, definitely think I was ready to just go for it. Um, especially after the heats the day before, like, I think it was like a 148.6 maybe that ran in the heats, but it was just, it was smooth, comfortable. And all that just gave me the confidence. Like I can go and compete with these guys and whatever they're ready to run, I was ready to run. Yeah, as I say, you ran a two-second PB, the British under-23 record, I think, and, and seventh fastest all-time by a Brit indoors. Um, ninth fastest all-time NCAA ahead of, like, Donovan Brazier and Nick Simmons, people like that. When you, like, you hear that, does that sound, like, real? Is it, is it sunk in what you did? It's, uh, it's, it is a weird one because, especially when you mention, like, Brazier and Simmons and even like Bryce Hopple didn't even like run those times indoors. Um, it, it's it's cool, but at the same time, I still like I just wanted that win so bad. Yeah, like you know, I would have happily run a one forty six two and got the win. And especially the circumstances in which I lost it, it, it it's not a kick in the teeth, but it's it's a weird one. To, it's just a weird one to process. I think like yeah. You know, finally running like a 145 is is amazing and doing it in the championship race as well. But losing out by a hundred of a second, um, in a way, I think, in, in, uh, like, in my opinion, like facing that last like 20 meters, I, I kind of switched off as well. I think that's the frustrating thing for me. Like came around the bend and I was like, oh, wow, like I see the finish line. Didn't necessarily panic. I just think I switched off that last 20 meters and wasn't paying right, like enough attention to my surroundings. And then at the last second, I see like this six foot plus guy's chest dipping me. I was like, ah, oh. like I knew I just lost it, and I think I had lost it. So rather than he necessarily like won it, yeah. So it, it's, I think the best thing about it, it just proves to me that where I'm at, like this time, it proves to me the things that like. I think I've believed for the last few years and I'd say like my coach Kirk Salmon in the UK had believed for a few times and like a few other people around me um that's that's probably the best thing about it like it's it's really putting where I want to be into like a real situation yeah yeah anyway, so for those that either haven't seen the race or, or didn't know you were pipped on the line by Oregon's Charlie Hunter by like say a hundredth of a second I think what stood out to me like your reaction crossing the line it wasn't about the time it was like you really did want that win afterwards when did it sort of start to shift from disappointment of what winning to sort of being really pleased with the time you'd run it took a while like I was I was pretty upset emotional afterwards for a bit because it was just running back like I could have I could have been a champion I could have been a champion but I wasn't um but I'd say giving it a few hours, and then I started to eat, like I had some teammates there who were competing in the distance medley relay. So my training partners were there, and like 
then we started when when I went back to them and started talking to them and then it was kind of like cheered me up a bit more and and then checked my phone and like flooded with like messages and like like so much support and like recognition from people and so much love that that was probably the bit where I was like okay like this is you know this is not necessarily like the pinnacle of what I want but it it's still like super fun very exciting like you know where I want to be and I think that's when it really started to kick in and getting some of the like the recognition from some of the people I was getting recognition from that was like that was awesome just to see that people were paying attention honestly like to yeah. see that people actually like are now recognizing the work that I put in and how much I put myself out there that was probably the bit where I was really like okay like I'm starting to do something yeah yeah that's great and like in terms of the race itself it was pretty even splits I think I think the live results had it as 26 point something for every 200 meters yeah I mean you probably normally look to positive split in 800 meters I suppose so do you think that means obviously it's different in a championship scenario but do you think that means there's even more pbs in you coming up yeah from a personal standpoint I definitely like to run very even or slightly negative um like most of my indoor races ended up being pretty bang even or slightly negative I think the couple races I've had outdoor season at most they've had like been like half a second positive uh, yeah. or between the laps so from a personal standpoint I, I quite like that I didn't go out extremely aggressive but I going through like 52 seeing that I was like okay I know I can I pretty much I can run this like I know I can maintain this but I definitely from your standpoint I definitely would like to get out and sort of really test myself you know whether that means taking that on like a 50 or 51 low and pretty much just seeing what you got you know there's a good chance I might I might die off that but at the same time you know if I don't if I can hold it and I have the strength to hold a sort of 51 50 point first lap then yeah it tells me that there should be something bigger in store yeah and then like moving like well, later this summer it's NCAA outdoors 9th of June I think and then uh, British yeah. Champs is 25th of June are you looking to do both of them yeah, so my main focus, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm a junior, like in my third year out here now, but this is actually my like first real year to competing. I uh, redshirted, so I took my f- first freshman year off. Um, and then obviously COVID last year. So three years out here, I haven't really had a chance to make an impact on the NCA scene. So that's definitely my main focus. But I mean, I'll be coming home to do the British Tramps. And at that point, it's, it's sort of just put yourself out there and see what happens. You know, there's Tokyo, there's under-23s for the Europeans. So it pretty much is NCAs and then see what I can do at British Champs. Well, because the Olympic standard is 145.2, I think. So, what, 0.7 yeah. a second faster than you've ran. So very much within reach. Is that an aim or, I mean, what do you think is kind of the biggest barrier, I suppose, top two, top three of the trials or, or the standard? No, like the, the 800 is stacked right now. It's, yeah. I mean, the little distance in, in the UK is stacked and it's kind of come from nothing, not nothing, but we've always had good guys in recent years, but now like the 800 is stacked. Obviously, LHR is just 143 and you've even got like the Max Bergens and all, all the kids that I had to race my year who are still probably going to drop big times um, and all the others. I'd say, you know, I, I want to go out and I want to compete in the same way for NCAs as I did indoors and usually NCAs is one in like a 144 145 low so I think 
I think this the time I can get for sure. I'd definitely back myself. And I think once I've got the time, it's sort of show up on the start line and truly just fully back myself and believe that I can compete with, you know, these top guys in the UK, these top seniors and some of the top guys in the world, arguably. Um, and see what happens, you know. Uh, I don't have a ton of experience on the senior level in terms of that. So I don't necessarily have a ton of room to talk or make any big claims. But I truly just believe if I can keep putting in the work, uh, I've got plenty of, what, two or three months still to train for that. Yeah. Um, then I think it's possible. Whether or not it happens is a different case. But I, I definitely think if I just show up and back myself, I think I'm a good enough racer to, to maybe surprise a few people. Yeah, well, that's a, a brilliant mentality to have. And like I say, if you think you ran 145.9 indoors, you said you hadn't really done a, a ton of 800 work in the lead up to that either. So there's definitely kind of a, quite a big margin for improvement, which must be really exciting. Yeah, for sure. So like you said, the British scene at the moment in middle distance running is, is pretty insane. Lights of Ellie Giles, Webb, Langford, Browden, the, the lads um, you've competed against, Dustin, Patterson, Bergen. Why, where do you think that has come from? Just kind of once one comes through and starts pushing all the others around them, do you think that was where it came from? I mean, I could definitely see that with our sort of junior class, you know, having... Uh, that 2019 under 20 British champs where Bergen goes and runs at 145 and you're like okay if there's this 17 year old running 145 we've got to start running at least like 147 146s to be considered you know within reach of him and then having Dustin who came dead last in the British under 20 champs but comes back to win the European under 20s it's like just it definitely is a sort of domino effect, I think, for our junior class. In terms of the senior class, I'm not sure. I mean, you look at like someone like Rowden, he, uh, he's obviously always been very high leveled and unfortunately had whatever issues he had, which I guess is kind of why he wasn't around for a bit. So I think the talent has definitely been there, but now things are just starting to click. Elliot yeah. Giles running 143, he's obviously always had the talent, but that's sort of, you know, that's the sort of times that you're going to be competing with Brazier and the best in the world. And now he's done that. Everyone else, again, it might be the similar sort of dominant effect. Now he's gone 143. Everyone else is going to have to really up their game to compete with him on the national scale. So, yeah, I definitely say it. it probably is just sort of that dominant effect. But it is nice, you know. It's nice to sort of be back where we can, we have a, like a class that can sort of compare themselves to the 80s and the 90s and be back to like consistently seeing in the 8 and the 15 British athletes in the final at Olympics and at World Championships. Like, Hopefully that'll just keep the standard growing and growing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a bit of a it's a double edged sword in the way because obviously it means it's much harder to get to yeah. Olympics and world champs and Euros and stuff like that. But at the same time, it pushes you and everyone around you to get better, which is obviously the the best thing in the long run. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So quite a long season for you, I suppose. With because that indoors sort of rolls straight into outdoors in, you know, in the NCAA. How do you like manage that and make sure you're you're peaking at the right time for your NCAA's, your British champs? How yeah, how does that look training wise to make sure you you stay in peak shape throughout? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's definitely going to be a learning curve and an experience for me. It's not something I've necessarily had to deal with a season this long before. But I think it helps that I didn't necessarily get, you know, it's not like I was doing a lot of lactic or speed work or 800 sessions back in 
December and January. So I think that's definitely going to help to a degree, sort of keep that, that base training there. Uh, I'd also say, you know, even at the minute, I'm not necessarily doing any sort of crazy sessions, uh, anything that's going to completely push me over the line or super intense mileage. I'm pretty much just taking over, keeping that fitness, doing a couple of hard sessions here and there, um, and making sure I keep my body in one piece. I think that's a big thing for me. I've in recent years dealt with pretty consistent, like, niggles and injuries and whatever stress reactions and stuff like that so that's probably the biggest one is if I can keep my body in check and just keep consistency as even if it's you know only low volume or low level consistency it's better than you know trying to push it too hard now and then having to take two weeks off and then pushing it too hard and having to take a week off so I definitely say just it's, it's, it's sort of a slow build up in a minute um, but things come around thick and fast you know I've already raced twice outdoors, but realistically, I only have another one or two races and then maybe one race and then it's our conference championships. Yeah. And then after that, that's two weeks and then it's regionals and then it's a week and then it's nationals. Yeah. The NTA. So it, it kind of rolls around thick and fast. And I think I'm in a position where I did a lot of base training. I have that, I have that base there that I'll be able to manage the workload that's about to come. So it will definitely be a learning curve, but you know, everyone's got to do it. It's something you've got to go through. You look at someone like Bryce Hopple back in 2019. He, I think he, he raced something ridiculous like every single week for so, like so many weeks. And he won NTA indoors, won NTA outdoors. US Championships comes top three. Uh, World Championships comes top four. And he did it all the way to August. So it's definitely doable for sure. Yeah, I think in the, in the UK, NCAA sometimes has a bit of a reputation of being a bit too intense people think you just yeah. go there and like overtrain. and like what have your experiences of the ncaa training setup been and, and the racing setup that was definitely something in my head looking at it you know i was growing up i was always someone i play a lot of football play a lot of basketball i started getting more into running about 16 17 probably more about 16 whereas well, i more start to switch my focus but like I sort of gained my fitness from just being really active and really fit from other sports and then had specific like running sessions once or twice a week that would give me that ability to race and run fast. So that was definitely for me and a lot of people had also said about high mileage, like 100 mile a week and all these things. That was in the back of my head, like I don't want to go there and just be absolutely worked in the ground. But to a degree, and I think you'll get mixed opinions and mixed, obviously depends on where you go, there's so many colleges. but to a degree, I say most people, I don't, it doesn't seem like there is that overwork sort of stigma that we give the NCA. Personally, I have not experienced it at all. Like my coaches out here are, in, it's one, obviously one thing is the mileage everyone's worried about, but my coaches here are definitely not like they're, they're very much, whatever your body can handle is, you know, we want to test your limits, but we don't want to absolutely kill you. You know, if you get up to a certain amount of mileage and you can handle that, great. If you can't, we'll drop back down. You know, whether that's I doing 30 to 35 or 40 miles in the winter, it's really nothing extreme. So I, I would say that's a bit of a stigma. It obviously depends on what coaches you get, what program you're at, because there are ones out there that just sort of run everyone into the ground and whoever survives, survives. And they'll become great runners, but then the other 80% will probably fall out of the sport. So it definitely is, you know, in terms of advice for people looking to come out to the States, especially with how many people are trying to come out to the States now, 
when you're in your recruiting calls and when you're looking at what colleges you want to go to, definitely consider your number one priority is which coach you sort of build a great connection with. There's a lot of coaches out there who want kids on their team just for the sake of having numbers and wanting kids on their team. And then there are enough coaches out there who are really personable. They'll buy into you. They'll, they'll want you for wanting you and for you building their program. And those are the sort of coaches who aren't going to look to run you into the absolute ground because they need you as well. They need you to perform. So personally, say that, that overwork stick is, is a bit of a stigma about the NTAs. You know, you, you do to a degree have to sort of go for it your freshman year and just sort of like, you got to test yourself to a degree. You know, you're never going to get better just doing the things that you did at home and sticking to the same routines and the same mileage and the same training. So you definitely have to put yourself out there, which that adjustment can you know, for me, that, that was a tough adjustment and that can get you hurt or can get you injured. But after that, I think it really pays dividends. For you then, why, was it just purely the connection with the coach that you chose Ohio or well, Miami University, Ohio? Was it, was it that relationship that you kind of clicked straight away? That was definitely a big thing. I mean, personally for me, I, they, they used to have a early signing period with the NCA, which they've got rid of now. So it was like October where you'd, most of coaches were looking at getting their top commits, which was me, which meant like most of the money was going in October. So if you wanted to like guarantee a good scholarship, it's kind of like you have to sign early, else the money might not be there. And I, uh, I only had it was after the I think um, twenty eighteen English champs or twenty seventeen English champs for me. I did pretty poorly, had a pretty bad season. And that's when I found right track and pretty like Jonathan Alori. And I only had like a few months really to like talk to coaches and get my name out there, make connections before I signed. And that was definitely the biggest standout. Just a lot of the coaches I spoke to were, I mean, they weren't necessarily bad people, but they just, they clearly were more interested in telling you how great they were and how great their program was rather than asking like about you, what you want to do, what you're going to bring to them, like why you want to come to the States. And I think definitely, like, I was talking to my coach, who was the recruiter at the time, Deshaun Turner, here, and he was just, just a, like, he did, he, he'd tell me things about, like, my races that I necessarily hadn't even seen yet. Like, he'd watched a bunch of my races, he'd seen a bunch of times. Most of the other coaches probably looked at a couple of times and then decided to talk. So that was 100%, like, the biggest thing from the gun, just the connection I made and realising that he was interested in me more than I was interested in them, to a degree. Yeah. That really helped for sure. I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily someone who had a bunch of like massive offers. You know, I wasn't looking at any major schools. I didn't have a ton of offers. I kind of was coming off a couple or one and a half kind of bad seasons. So for them to still believe in me as well was sort of a big thing to them trusting me that like I had done this in the past and I was just struggling a bit at the minute, but the potential was there was a really big thing for me to be like, okay, you know, these guys I think really want to develop me. And that was up, yeah off the bat straight away the the big thing that jumped out yeah yeah that's great i think you did steeplechase for quite a bit in kind of first yeah. years and then sort of transitioned away from that and into pretty much an 800 meter specialist now was that based on injury and, and mileage or was that just where you kind of wanted to go pretty much bang on there's actually i mean both my coaches were uh they they were both uh, world champ qualifi- qualifiers in the 3k chase so when they were looking at me they saw that I was like doing the 15 chase a lot and they recruited me for a steeplechase I think after my race on um 
on Friday, my, my coach came up to me and was like, yeah, that's good race, but we did recruit you for Steeple. And I was like, yeah, there's, there's no chance I'm moving up to 3K chase anymore. So that was, that was the reason I, the big reason I came out here. I was going to focus on Steeple, but uh, I dealt with quite a few little injuries my first semester here. And then coming back my second semester, like a few weeks in, I ended up with a stress reaction that put me out for about a month. And it was sort of like, I, you know, if I want a season this year, looking at what's realistic, I started looking at the 800 and European, uh, yeah, the European juniors. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to build enough mileage where I can look at the steeple. So it was sort of just a natural way. Like uh, the injuries meant the mileage decreased, but I could keep up some intense speed work and some heavy sessions. Yeah. So I could then go into the 800. So, I mean, it's worked out really well, you know, at the time it was a struggle. I hadn't really experienced like a stress reaction or like a bone injury before. So it was one of those that sort of like knocks you back a bit and you're like, you don't really know how to deal with it, but it honestly worked out perfectly, especially since, you know, I don't have to run free chase anymore, which is brutal. The transition has definitely worked for you because I think, so you entered 2019, I think with 156.88 as your PB. And then in April, you ran 150, 148 in, in Watford in June. And then bronze at England under 20s in, in 147. So kind of that season in, in 2019 must have just been like incredible, just constantly running PBs, just improving throughout. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, I really like, I always definitely, I have like a high level of belief and confidence in myself, but even I surprised myself to like a large degree that year, like, and I think a lot of my teammates um, out here and the coaches out here are definitely shocked and especially the way I went about it. So I had this stress reaction and I think I started training again in like mid-March towards the end of March is when I first like started getting back on my feet and running again. And I mean, for one thing, that's definitely one of the big reasons why I'd recommend people coming out here. Like, okay, I got injured for like whatever I was doing, but no there's no possible way that I would have been able to recover as quick as I did back in the UK. Like, yeah, I was seeing like private physios and getting all this work done. And when I was coming back, they're, they're putting me on underwater treadmills and like these ultra G treadmills, which like the anti-gravity ones. And I, I was like, it's just insane that I could get back in those sort of ways. Like I could never even imagine going on those sort of things in the UK. So yeah, I came back towards the end of March and my coach was like, you know, we've got a home meet. It's not the highest standard. We're just going to throw you in the 800. And I was like, I've been training for like two weeks. He was like, yeah, it's whatever. So throws me in the 800, end up winning like a 153. And I was like, oh, like I could, I can make some of this. Raced another like local meet because I was racing on the tap, so I'd have to transport myself. So I raced another local meet the week next. Won again in a 150. And I was like, all right, I could definitely start clicking off some seconds when I go home. And yeah. As you said, just every week, just like 149, 149 low, 150, 148, 147, um, just kept clocking it off and kept working down. It was, especially that 147, I remember like, I was, I think I was more shocked or more, uh, probably happier after running 147 than I was running 145 because I, I don't think I really truly believed that I had that in me. So to actually go and see that happen, I mean, get dragged around by Bergen was something else. Yeah. Uh, especially, I, don't, I wasn't necessarily massively experienced. So when I was running these PRs, I mean, I was coming, you know, I wasn't losing to, I was losing to like sort of like Josh Lay and Ben Patterson, like second and first and then second. 
so I, I didn't really have that 800 racing brain yet either um so just the experience i gained from all those races back to back is is probably what's really helping me right now actually go and run what i'm truly capable of yeah, it's really interesting a lot of people think you know, like you just get injured if you go out to the NCAA, but like the facilities and the the money in it that can help you rehab physio underwater treadmills all that it's that can't be underestimated no it's and I, yeah i mean like i'm not at a sort of you have these power five conferences so you have these big five conferences that like sort of everyone knows about um with all the big schools like a ton of money and, and the main reason they're in there is because they're like american football basketball team is is very good and brings in a ton of money but every school not every school but most schools outside of that have just so much more available to them than we ever would in the uk like i have like probably average facilities here for the us but compared to back home like it's nothing that i could even come close to i mean there's obviously some great universities in the uk that have good facilities but it's still it isn't the same and then you know to add to that like i was getting x-rays and scans that i wasn't having to pay for they were all paying for that um i was we obviously have our own like miami physios and training staff but i was seeing like a, a private um physio outside outside of the university that they were paying for to really get me back on track and they're doing they're doing things like dry needling and acupuncture and all this sort of work that i didn't even really know about in the uk so there's obviously this yeah like you said this idea that you just go out you'll get injured but I mean, if you do go out and you do get injured you'll come back way quick out here than you ever would in the uk so sort of weighing up the pros and the cons there and i suppose kind of knowing a university like that is investing that much into you to get you that like top class physio acupuncture all those sort of kind of investments to know that they've got kind of confidence in you that you will get back to running well it must be kind of really like yeah good for your confidence as well oh exactly and i think you know it can be hard and it can be hard in the uk at times to unless you're sort of really like number one or within like a british futures program it can be really hard to to get this level of support and have a, a network around you of more than just your coach but have like a network of like your coach physios psychologists um lifting coaches and like weight coaches you don't really you don't really have the chance to build that network of support that you really need to be high high level so to come here and you know for someone who necessarily wasn't running blistering fast times coming out here to even have that network and to see that like everyone on our team has that network if it's needed you know myself down to you know whoever's sort of struggling at the minute look to the lower end of our team still has that support network and it it, it really helps bring out the best in everyone yeah um, so that's definitely been one of the biggest things about coming here compared to being back at home yeah yeah definitely and then i would say england under 20 championships max bergen won in this is 2019 in 145 ben patterson in 146 and then you ran 147 and you were selected for euro under 20s was that your first gb vest that was yeah i, I did siab so i won english schools 15 chase back in 2016 so i did siab and got obviously an england vest but that's yeah first gb vest and i don't think you can really compare siab to getting a, a gb vest 
yeah, first GB vest that was. And Max Bergen was then injured, so it was uh, you, uh, Ben Batson, and Ollie Dustin in the team. What was your aim going into it, and did like, the three of you know that the the one, two, three was on? Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, we were bantering each other like the whole time. Like we all wanted to win, and we all knew we wanted to win, and we all knew we were capable of winning. So it was like when someone started getting a bit maybe like cocky, arrogant about it, we were like, yeah, fair enough. Like, like just equal back that sort of level. It was it was definitely a friendly rival we had between us going into it. So it was kind of nice, honestly, because sometimes you, you can get too intense with the sort of rivalries you can build with other people, um, which, I mean, I personally don't mind. I like having someone like I really want to beat and, and someone I dislike sometimes the race. It just sort of gives you that extra motivation. But going into this, like it just made the whole week. It could have been a real intense atmosphere between us three, uh, knowing that we were the three favourites to win. And it, it could have been sort of like bitterness between us, but it really was. And it was just like friendly banter the whole time. Um, uh, we definitely knew that one, two, three was on. Like, I think especially after the heats, we kind of realised like these guys, these other guys are just not sort of on the same level that we were on. And uh, it would have taken a bad performance from one of us to not get one, two, three. It was a great experience, honestly. I think, you know, even I didn't get, I, I, see, I wanted to win, I didn't get the win and I got third in quite a, tough way falling over the line but two years on from that has definitely helped me maybe more than winning would have helped me I'm not sure but it definitely helped me a lot with the experience I gained and the sort of ability to get a week away as 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 a professional would and see how like a professional would live and train in the week up to a race being that GB team so it's extremely helpful for me like you say in that in that race Ollie Dustin won in 150 Ben Batson ran 150 as well and you were third in 151. Yeah, that last 50 meters, I suppose, was <laughs> looked pretty looked pretty hard work. How did those? It, it, how did that pan out in your head? I don't know. I don't know. I, I seriously, I don't know if I blacked out a bit or just hit such a wall. Um, it was you know, the build up to it wasn't ideal. You know, I was dealing with a few different things, but definitely not as an excuse. I think. It went out so slow, we did not expect. We thought it was, I mean, between the three of us, I think we thought someone was going to take it out, you know, try and make it difficult for us. But it was that one like a 58, 57 first lap. Maybe even a 50, I think it was 58, I could be wrong. And from a lot of pushing and shoving, it was honestly a bit like, it was a bit like a Sunday league match. Like it was so physical, pushing and shoving. I think I wasted a lot of energy sort of buying into that, whereas someone like Dustin definitely ran it a lot smarter than I did. He kind of sat at the back got his way out of the trouble. Uh, but I bought in and started pushing and shoving. And then I also, <laughs> I think from 300 to 100 to go, me and, me and Patterson just really started to race each other. Yeah. And I've raced him twice now. Lost to him both times, not by like any big margin. And in my head, I was probably thinking about our previous races too much. So I knew, you know, he's a, like a 47, 400 runner. I knew I can't just absolutely like chase him down. So we and him started racing each other, ran a blistering next 200, and then we both paid the price, and Dustin ran smart and has a great kick as he always does and came back. And that last 100 metres was, I think, about 80 metres to go, maybe 70 metres to go. I was like, my leg started, like, running. just and It just wasn't normal. My leg started turning over really weird. I was like, this is not good. Like, hang on, just hang on as long as you can. And then, yeah, like 50, 40 metres to go, I just... I just switched, like, I just shut down, completely shut down. I guess, thankfully, I managed to stay on my feet. 
Yeah. Because it, it could have been a it could have been a rough one. I could have not finished. Um but thankfully I managed to stay on a free and for a first like my first real year in the eight hundred, my first way like first time away with like the British team and in the British vest, my first time racing internationally, you know, I I'll take a bronze. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't necessarily like the main goal, but it was a great experience, it was great fun. And it was again another like just stepping stone to prove to myself like with a few more like adjustments, a few more years, I can definitely get myself to the level that I really want to be at. Yeah, yeah. I suppose if if someone told you at the beginning of twenty nineteen you'd get the European bronze medal, you probably would have been pretty pleased with that, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the start of twenty nineteen, I went to an indoor race and I was. Did I ran a mile again? I still wasn't expected to run 800, so I was, I was in a mile race, it wasn't the highest standard. I was on pace for about a 430 mile before I dropped out with like just pure shin agony. So, going from like struggling to complete a 430 mile to a 147 and a bronze was if you'd have told me that at the start of the year, I'd have bit your hand off. Yeah, yeah, I imagine it's often said on commentary, particularly for like junior events, about the history of like British middle distance running. So, I imagine to be Obviously, you wanted to win, but to be a part of that one, two, three must have been been pretty pretty special. Yeah, no, it really was. And like, I think if I'd got third and I'd have lost to two kids from other countries, it it would have it would have definitely been a bit more of like a sour third. But to lose in a way that I was still part of like a, a his, like making of history was it was it definitely it definitely added to it. it definitely like took away from the sort of bitterness of not winning and to see like the support from all the other Brits that were out there, like when we were like, and the videos they're taking, like when we were running the last hundred meters and the support, the noise they're making, that really sort of, that really sort of made it worthwhile, like getting out there and still competing in that last hundred meters. I think you said in the interview afterwards, that was on YouTube that you had a tough couple of years injury wise. What advice would you give to like other people or young athletes in particular who are also going through or have been through a tough time injury form wise? Uh, I would say it's, you need it to a degree from then to now. Like I, I really hadn't dealt with many like bone injuries and like stress reactions or anything along those lines. So now when it comes up, like the biggest thing that I've taken away from all of this, I know how to deal with it. Like I know my body so much better now than I did two or three years ago. I know what I can like cope with I know what's I know what's training pain I know what's injury pain I know what I can run through and I know what I can't run through yeah so honestly it's it sucks at a time and it could be it could be hard to especially when everyone else you know is isn't that sometimes they're racing like these great races like your competitors are going out there and dropping whatever times they're dropping and getting all this love from other people it's it can be tough but you learn so much about yourself in the long term that it's it's always sort of like a blessing in disguise that it's hard to realize but if if you take it in the right way you understand what's happened and you know how you know you can get over it then it's brilliant for the future in my opinion yeah yeah that's that's very well said so in the immediate future you said about like regionals conference champs and stuff like that but what's next for you what's the race booked in so hopefully a, a weekend off is a big thing about being out here is there's a lot can be a lot of travel you know we got up at 4am Thursday morning to catch a flight out to Memphis or to Atlanta then to Memphis then drove down to um, Oxford Mississippi and then we ended up driving back from Mississippi to to Ohio 
So there's a lot of traveling there. It, it can be quite draining outside of the race. So thankfully I got a week off and then I'm pretty sure we'll be going up to Drake Relays out in Iowa for, I, I think most likely a relay. I don't think I'll be doing an individual event. I think we've got a really solid team out here at the minute. We've got, they do like the, the ranking event ranking. So they take the top four average times. And um, I think in the 800, we're third in the nation at the minute. Oh. And the 15, I'm not sure. We had four guys go sub 346 on the weekend of five guys go sub 346 or around that. So we have a very solid team and it'd be nice for us to go get a relay in go sort of prove our worth getting some top teams and, and have a bit of fun really like those individual races are daunting it's a lot to constantly process the anxiety the adrenaline and all the nerves that come along with it so to put the team aspect into athletics can can be really good fun so i, I think that's yeah drake relays in two weeks and then i'd say my i, I think it'd just be my conference meet two weeks after that yeah. So thankfully not a ton of racing um, and should be some exciting stuff and team stuff in there. And then, yeah, regionals and nationals. So big things are coming thick and fast pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I think like you just touched on it there. One of the the things that's really stood, stood out to me about NCAA is that team environment. I mean, you get that UK universities as well, particularly went to Bucks cross country with Loughborough last, no, 29, no, 2020 it would have been. Um, and like that was my first real um, like experience of a proper team atmosphere. But it seems to be like massive in America that obviously college sport is a really big thing as well. So that team environment must be really fun, like you say. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, yeah, like you said, college college sports is massive. It's the way I compare it. It's like it's like our. I mean, obviously the the top the top leagues like the Premier League, and then college sports is pretty much at like a championship level. It's like your local team, which because it's like a lot of people's local teams, it's it's where they come out and they, there's a lot of support and a lot of love, especially from like not just the students, but the locals around in the towns and the cities. And and yeah, as you said, like it, going to, to travel for one, like back home if I'm in the UK, usually I'm like, I'm traveling with like, my mum's driving me somewhere or my coach is driving me somewhere to a race, you know. Whereas here, I'm, we might be flying out with a, a group of guys or we're, we're driving in like a... a uh, a uh, bus with like a 50 odd people uh you're staying like overnight with like your friends and it's it's a lot more of a social life i'd say you know it it takes away from you're not you're, you're out there for like four four days sometimes for one race and you're not necessarily those whole four days you're not thinking about the race because especially as a brit you're experiencing other places of the world you know all these different states you get to go to and you're also like spending it with you know people who are your friends people you socialize with and then when it comes to the sort of relay aspects, I'd love to see more of it in the UK at the higher level. Uh, it, it's great fun. Like for the indoor season, our team also qualified the distance medley relay. So, I mean, I ended up not being part of that at nationals to focus on the 800. But when we qualified, it was arguably more fun. Like I did the 1200, so I led off. And then it's a 400, 800, 1600. And like watching our 1600 guy come down the line, get the win for us against some big schools and like qualifiers for nationals was arguably more fun and like more motivating and exciting than me personally just qualifying on my own. Yeah. So it, it really makes, you know, it really makes track and field athletics just more of, more of that team, more the team sport and going off that it's, it's something that I think 
to a degree why I'm doing better since I've been out here. It's, it's, it's more of a social life, you know. I, I actually enjoy running now. Before, running was like something I do, and I think a lot of people in the UK can relate. Like, you do football, you do rugby, you do basketball, whatever. That's what you enjoy doing, but you, you stand out in running. So you go and do running. You're good at running, so you do it. And it's never necessarily, like, great fun, but you get it done because you want to be good at something. Whereas here, like, you know, if I go for, a, if you've got like a, just an easy day, like a few, four or five miles, I go for those four or five miles and it's, I'm going with like 10, 15 other guys, you know, people that I live with, people that I socialize every day with. And it becomes, it becomes way more of a social life, way more enjoyable. I'm more motivated to then go and go out because, you know, we're chatting the whole time, we're bantering the whole time. Uh, and it, it really just adds to your potential because now you enjoy it and now you're willing to put more work in and willing to have more fun with it. So, you know, going for those points is definitely, it is definitely not always, you know, I've had my struggles of course, but it can be great fun out here. Yeah. And then going like past beyond this season, are you like aspiring to be a, a professional athlete of one of the, like the, the sponsored pro groups in the States? Cause that, kind of tends to be the, the natural progression for some of the leading NCAA athletes. Is that on your, your mind? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that is the goal. The goal is, you know, one race isn't going to define my career. One, one time, one 145.9 isn't going to get me necessarily anywhere. It's a definitely a good start in the right direction. But I'm going to keep, you know, working away, see what I can achieve for the remainder of this season. Um, I've still got another year of academics and eligibility out in the US so I've got that as well you know for, so after you know after this is all done professional level is definitely where I want to be you know I want this is something I want to be doing at the highest level I want to be competing I want to be training at the highest level I want to be you know get the chances to travel around the world and wherever athletics, athletics can take me is, is where I want to go so it's it's something I've thought about and I've had considerations for but at the end of the day, I, I got to keep keep trucking away and getting those times in. And as you said, a lot of the natural progression for a lot of collegiate runners is to sort of join a group out in the US. Um, and I, I I just say that there seems to be more opportunities for professional runners out in the US. There's more professional teams. There's more groups. There's probably more money in it as well. So maybe that is the natural direction after I'm done with my collegiate career is to stay in the US, or maybe I go back home and you know there's something building back in the uk i'm I'm not sure i'm just happy to see wherever it will take me honestly yeah yeah it's that, i think that's the yeah a great mindset to have and sounds like say you're enjoying it and things are definitely going nicely for you at the moment so that's brilliant to see just finish off with a few like quick fire sort of questions so if you could go for a run with any athlete uh who would it be uh that's a tough one. Past or present, or both? Uh, either, but yeah, whichever. I would love to go past. I'd love to go with Sebco just to yeah. pick his brain and see what he's about. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. But I'd say Sebco. Yeah, that's a good answer. What's your favourite like actual event? So not distance, but your favourite event to compete in, whether it's NCAA plays or or something like that. Um, so far, Europeans has been my favorite. Yeah, yeah, must be. It's a close one. NTAs was great fun. Um, 
I think it'd been more fun if I participated in the relay as well, but I think I'd have been dead on my feet if I did that as well. So yeah, Europeans. Yeah. Favourite session? So they like to they like to do some volume work before you do some hard stuff here. So a good one that I, I think I've loved doing since I've been out here, especially with other people, you kind of race each other towards the end is four by 800 at sort of like VO2 max, oh, not VO2 max, like threshold pace, lactic threshold pace, like two for 800, it's just to get some volume. And then 400 pretty much max, 300 pretty much max, 200 pretty much max, 100 pretty much max. Uh, plenty of recovery in between those, but it's, it's great fun when you can just get out and race each other. Yeah, it sounds like a well. It sounds like my nightmare session. Those sort of map decks are more about the kind of aerobic mile reps sort of thing. But yeah, oh, um, you wouldn't mind the first one, eight hundred seven. Yeah, and split shorts or half tights. Split shorts. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think I'm surprised actually. Angel me to run a saying split shorts, but yeah, I. I yeah, I'm, you know what? I, I tried it 2019. I went all half tights. I was like, yeah, this is, you know, I want to look like a sprint or whatever. It's like, I'm just not built to look. I'm, you know, I'm a skinny five foot nine kid, uh, split shorts all day. Yeah. Well, as I say, thank you again for, for joining us. It's been really interesting to hear, hear about the NCAA. I think you're the first athlete we've had on that has been out to America, and it sounds like your experience is, yeah, amazing out there and sounds definitely like. You've, you're really enjoying it and things are going very well so that's brilliant to hear so yeah um yeah thank you for coming on all the best with your your races and your training coming up and excited to see kind of what's in store for you this year yeah thank you it's, it's great to be on it's nice to share my experience i think some people might like to do a look at to come to the states might like to hear it and you know it's it's been a nice nice to get out and chat about what's been going on and let people know what's been happening so thank you for having me on Thank you for coming on and yeah, all the best. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.